Most people will like feed into the New Testament and read in the New Testament. And so um, we were like, well, let's, you know, look at this. So as we're reading in, the, in Amos, we just kind of got hooked on the, there's 12 minor prophets. And so we got hooked on the 12 minor prophets. And during that time, as I was reading, I finished the, like the last chapter at about five o'clock on the Sunday before we came for communion and broke the fast. So it timed itself out perfectly. And then pastor called me like three days ago and said, hey, can you teach? Do you have anything to teach about? And I'm like, yeah, I do. Because I just went through. I mean, it was almost a, I mean, I've been Bible studying on this one with the minor prophets. And there's a common theme that runs through them, um, that runs through our uh, the minor prophets. So um, we're gonna. I'm just gonna open in prayer, and then um, we're gonna get right into scripture. And there is a lot of scripture tonight. Um, Kari has her task set out for her. Um, she had her hand out with a smiling when I walked in, like, "Okay, give it to me. Here we go." Um, dear Lord, we thank you for this night, Lord. We thank you for uh, the opportunity to be here, Lord. Um, there's no other place that we'd rather be. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to stand up here and speak on your behalf, Lord. It is not mine. Um, Lord, I just humble myself and just ask that your words be spoken through me and that not only um, the people that are in the sanctuary here, but me being one of those, Lord, because your word needs to come to me as well, Lord. So we just ask for ears that hear, and we ask that you fill your glory in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so the opening scripture is Zechariah 7, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. <clears throat> and you got to go with me on the names in the beginning of it. Now in the fourth year of King Darius, it came to pass that the word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month, Chislev, when the people sent Sherezer with Regum Melech and his men to the house of God to pray before the Lord and to ask the priest who were in the house of the Lord of hosts and the prophets saying, should I weep in the fifth month and fast as I have done for so many years? Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me saying, say to all the people of the land and to the priest, when you fasted and mourn in the fifth and seventh month, during those 70 years, did you really fast for me? For me. When you eat and when you drink, do you not eat and drink for yourselves? So I'm going to preach to you tonight out of a sermon titled, Who Are You In This For? Okay. And we're going to revisit the opening scripture again. Only we're going to start at verse 3 so I don't have to go through the names again. And where it starts at verse 3, and it says, and to ask the priest. Okay, so um, they had been sent, and they were to ask the priest who were in the house of the Lord of hosts, saying, should I weep in the fifth month and fast as I've done for so many years? So here's the first thing that we look at, is these people have been doing this for a long time. It's obvious that they're Jews. They have their religion. They have their faith. And they're churchgoers. I mean, they're they're... And what I'm going to do is tonight is, and it's going to be a little teachy, is I am going to bring Old Testament and where we are today. And so these people, they're religious, they're Jewish, and they're going through all the motions. 
I mean, they're even fasting. They're praying. They're attending church. They're Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday, and, well, Saturday. I guess they would be Saturday morning, Saturday night. Um, but they're churchgoers. So we just, ourselves, have just finished a fast in the church. And pastor's already made comment that it was one of the smallest groups that we've had. Um, but when we were here, who did we fast for? Okay. Um, if you go to the next verse, Kari, and one more. Go to the last where it's got, there we go. For me, the last line. Did you really fast for me? For me. He repeats it. So it's important. He's repeating himself. You know, who did you come to this fast for? When you came to this fast, when we came to this fast, who were we here for? Okay. I ask myself the same question. When I'm praying, you know, Pastor Scott is my spiritual father and he's one of my best friends. And he said something the other morning that was, or the other night that was absolutely true. And he knew it was true without even ever asking me is that between me and him, I'd die for him. He'd die for me. We know we'd take a bullet for each other. There's no doubt there. There's no question there. So in my mind, when I came to the fast, did I not want to let Pastor down? Did I want him to go... Well, man, you know, Jimmy, he hadn't been here. So was I doing it to, I mean, we, sometimes we have to examine. Paul says we have to examine ourselves. So why were we here? Are we doing it for yourself? Are you doing it to try and gain, you know, betterment? I mean, are, are we serving the Lord so that we can reap the benefits? Or are we serving the Lord to serve the Lord? And then the benefits come and on top of that, so are we fooling ourselves as Christians and we have to examine ourselves when we go through this? And I want to look at some of the, the theme that ran through the Old Testament with some of these minor prophets. Haggai in verse 1 or in chapter 1, starting at verse 3, and Kari's going to try and keep up with me as I read. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses, and this temple to lie in ruins? Now therefore, says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but you do not have enough. You drink, but are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Now, the beginning of this, when it says, is it time for you, is it time for yourself to dwell in paneled houses? Um, back in the day when they were building, they would. They would use a wood paneling that would cover the stone and that was the inside of the houses. So... What Haggai is looking at and what he's finding is when the people have come back to Jerusalem after being exiled, the temple is in ruins. I mean, it's, it's in shambles. They took down to where the point, they destroyed the temple in Jerusalem to where there was not another, not one stone on top of another. It is completely burned and completely flattened. And the people come back to Jerusalem and they're allowed back into Jerusalem. And the first thing that they do as the people of God, they get their land back. They come back 
and the temple, they just kind of leave it hanging there and they start working on their houses. And they don't just throw together thatch houses or stone houses, or whatever. They got paneled houses. This indicates that it's nice. So what I'm looking at when I'm reading this is back then, Old Testament, they're more concerned with their house. How good does it look? How am I keeping up with the Joneses? Do I have a three-car garage and they've got a four? Do I need to add on? Do I need to take a wall out here, build? Because, you know, it's me and my wife and, you know, we got only four bedrooms. So, you know, man, we better get that back bedroom squared away that nobody's using, which incidentally we're doing right now. You know, we're putting a lot of work into it. So what's more important though? Building God's temple, spending time here, or putting work into your own house, into your paneled houses. When you look at the second half of what I read, starting at 6, when it says you've sown much and bring in little, you eat but you don't have enough, you drink but you're still thirsty, you go out and you earn wages but you put them into a bag with a hole in it, what this is indicating is, again, this self-drive that we're trying to do. But we're trying to do it on our own. Okay? We don't have God behind it. We've got us behind it. We're not doing these things for God. We're doing these things for us. We're being men of the 21st century going, I can do this on my own. Something isn't working out right, so I can do this. I got this. Independent women. Man, I ain't asking for nobody's help. I know I can do this. I'll be looked down upon as weak, men or women. And we are taught, taught in this culture to do this on our own. And that's what they were doing. And yet they were working. They were working hard. And it just felt like the wages were coming in and just going out and coming in and going out and coming in and going out. And here's the thing is, God says when you give tithes and offerings that you're going to be blessed beyond what you can have. And I'll get to that further in this because that came from one of the minor prophets. But here's the thing is God, the very last line in verse 7 says, consider your ways. So are we trying, you know, should we be out there? You know what? Work. We are supposed to work. Pastors talk, work is not a, it's a four-letter word, but it's not the bad four-letter word. It's a good four-letter word. And we are supposed to work. But are we overworking? Are we devoting too much time to gain too much stuff that we don't really need that's not really important? Okay? So we have to look at ourselves because God says that you will not be, not be blessed. He's going to get His. If you try and do it on your own, and I always have a saying with my guys, I put in fences and we can do the exact same movements throughout the day and leave an hour and a half earlier if you'll do them smarter instead of harder. Deacon Scott knows that. He brings the dollies with the wheels on them to every move we have, and instead of us picking them up and carrying them, dude, he's over there just pushing one that's heavier than me and Cliff could lift, right? You can work easier. So God's going to get his. So then we go to Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 12. And it says, And it shall come to pass at that time that I will search Jerusalem with lamps and punish the men who are settled in complacency, who say in their heart, The Lord will do no good, nor will He do evil. 
this first sentence that says, I will search Jerusalem with lamps. Obviously, God doesn't have to get a lamp out and go and be like, Dave, where are you around that corner? Hey, oh, oh, yeah, there you are. Okay. He knows where you are. But this searching of the, um, with the lamps is his searching out of your hearts. This indication of the lamp, that he's got this lamp, is that he's searching through their dark places and he's looking for anywhere that you think you might be hiding, anywhere that you've got hidden away. And this is talking about your heart. God's looking, he is searching with a lamp in the nooks and crannies of your heart to find what you're really about because he knows you and he knows your heart and he knows where you are. And here's the thing. He's looking for complacency. He's looking for, I'm good. You know, I, I mean, I know that when one of my testimonies with men's group when I got here is once my eyes were opened and once I actually gained a spiritual father and I actually had someone that taught me the word and taught me how to be, not be, attempt to be righteous. Nancy will attest that it's an attempt. Um, but you, we have this, um, I, I was taught, but until then, I just kind of went along. And one of my testimonies is that I, was, I came from the Episcopal Church. And in the Episcopal Church, once a year for budget, and we don't do that here, but once a year for budget, you'd have the deacons from the church come and visit and, you know, and sit down. Well, you know, it's time to plan our budget for next year, so we're going to talk about tithing. And, um, you know, we noticed that you just kind of give off and on. So we're wondering if you can maybe do something regular so that we can plan on you. And, you know, 10%, that's a lot, and we know that. So we're thinking maybe, um, you know, can, can you start with 3%? Okay. N- now I'm looking back going, how stupid is that? Because a, t- a tithe is 10%. You can't tithe 3%. That's a, you just can't do that. But I was cool. Yeah, I'll, I'll go 3%. Yeah. And then they're like, okay, well, we got to have some men to usher. And, you know, we don't like to do it all the time because we like to sit with our wives. And, you know, this was a big church. And we need four people. It's a big church. So, you know, if we can put you on for ushering, um, you know, maybe you could come and usher like once every eight weeks. Would that be good with you stand at the door once every eight weeks? Oh, yeah, I, got, I like to talk. I'll, I'll meet and greet people. We all wear name tags, so that's kind of cool. So I would stand out there and I would usher. And I would, you know, you have to, during communion, work the people down. And so when I came here, and pastor talks about, well, what have you done in the past? And, you know, and it doesn't matter what you did in the past. It's what can you do for me now? Well, here was my thing is in the past, man, at this Episcopal church, I was tithing 3% regular, ushering once every eight weeks, and played on the softball team. And I was one of the most upstanding regular dudes in the church. And I'm thinking, I got this going on. I'm good. So I come here. I told pastor, I said, good golly. Man, to think you all got it going on and you realize that you're right there and you've got to go way up here, it brings revelation to you. So when we talk about this complacency at that Episcopal church, 
I was extremely complacent. And I wasn't saved yet either. I had just grown up in the Episcopal Church and had gone through my whole life. By the time I was 11 years old, I could sit in the sanctuary and I could whisper the entire service with the exception of the New Testament reading and the Old Testament reading that they, one, one little verse, one little verse, and then the, the priest would give about a three to five minute sermon on one of those two. And other than that, it was scripted. It was from the Book of Common Prayer. We either did communion or we just did regular common prayer. And I could whisper one word ahead of the priest through the entire service at 11 years old. So was I really getting anything out of that? No, I was complacent. I grew up in a church that had complacency. So God is going to search out the nooks and crannies of your heart and find out that if you're complacent or not. The other thing, if you'll, go, um, if you'll look at the bottom of the scripture, it says, Who say in their heart, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do evil? Okay, so this is where God's looking for these people. And what this verse is, I mean, obviously, if, you're, if you believe in the Lord, you're not going to... I struggled with these verses because it's like, how do these people say this? How do you call yourselves Jews then? How do we call ourselves Christians if we're sitting here thinking the Lord will not do good nor will he do evil? And as I was reading it, this level that they do and this complacency that they had and the Lord will not do good, nor will he do evil, basically puts the Lord, puts God, puts Yahweh on this just level platform. Kind of like their Baal idols that they laid out and set out. And this was a time when the Jews were intermixed big time, and they were worshiping, I mean, they, I guess they thought they were doing good. They were worshiping God and Baal. I think they were just trying to maybe cover all their bases. I don't know what was in their minds, um, and it's easy for us to have 2020 hindsight when we look back and go, wow, were they stupid. But if somebody, you know, uh, if God doesn't take us away, is someone going to look back 100 years and go, man, they, they were stupid right there in America. I mean, you know, is that, are we in the same place? And here's the thing. Are we? Okay. They were lowering the Lord down. It's like, eh. He's not going to do good. He's not going to do evil. He's just kind of there. We talk to him every once in a while, and he's just there. And that was what they did with their idols. So if we look at it in modern day with us, is that what we do with our idols? You know, do we really, do we really lean on the Lord? When something comes up in our life, do we really go to prayer and go to God first? Or do we just have a little bit of complacency and, oh, it'll work out, or I can handle that, I can do this. Um, Do we hide ourselves? Do we have other idols? And pastor has said, I mean, obviously we don't have Asherah poles in our living rooms. I hope not. But, you know, what do we have? Time, talent, and money. And these are things that not just pastor, but pretty much any one that I've listened to that preaches scripture will tell you that that is where you can determine if something is an idol or not. Look at where your time, talent, and money are going to. So if your time is spent sitting watching a football game versus spending time with God, especially if you have a problem and you're trying to make the problem go away, 
ignore the problem. You know, you've got just, there's it's just pressing on my mind. I really need to talk with that person. I think I'm just going to sit down and watch football. I can't say that I hadn't done that. But we should go to the Lord first. So are we placing God equal with idols? And I know for me, and, and I was a young man at the time, but I used to be, I used to tell you every stat of every player coming out of college, what little league they played in, how many championships they won, what their, I mean, I used to know, you okay? I used to know everything about everybody that was related to football, all right? So I was in California, and California is really cool if you're into football because you can wake up Sunday morning at 9 o'clock and turn on the NFL. And so that's what I did. And I watched the NFL at 9 to the 12, 30, 1 o'clock game, and then I watched the 1 to the 4, 30, 5 o'clock game, then I watched the 6 to the 10 o'clock game, and I never moved off the couch. I didn't eat that day. I didn't drink that. I just, like, didn't move off the couch. And I said, what, that is, like, the most worthless day of my entire life so far. And I was in my 20s at the time. So at least I had recognition then not to do that. But, there, but we do that. You know, we do that. Instead of turning to God, we will turn to other things that are just common that we have in our lives. We'll sit at the computer. We'll watch TV. We'll engage in a conversation with someone else. I mean, we'll, we just won't turn to God first, which is where we need to be. In Malachi, and I'm going to go through several verses in Malachi. The first one is 1, chapter 1, verse 7. And the next series of things that come up that I talk about, it's like, man, if, if they had texting back then, it'd just be a SMH, right? It says, you offer defiled food on my altar, but say... In what way have we defiled you? By saying the, to- the table of the Lord is, in- is contemptible. And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably? Says the Lord of hosts. <coughs> and my first note I have in here is, are they stupid? Just stay on that one for just a second. Okay. So the God, call, God calls for the first of your, the best. He wants your best. And so these people are, well, man, that lamb is awful tender. I think that makes some good lamb chops. I think I'll just go ahead and give God this blind one because he's kind of scrawny because he can't see the trough to go eat, right? Can't find the grass, can't find the hay. And here's the crazy thing is, they, they know that they're doing it, but they're like, but God asked them, are you defiling me? Well, in what way have we defiled you? You know the answer. You're the ones that are doing it. You're bringing the stuff to him that's not the best. And yet you're trying to sit over and slide in and go, eh, maybe he won't notice. I just get this one in here and I'll just keep, you know, I'll just keep good for me. In, in chapter 13, in uh, verse 13, it says, You also say, 
Oh, what, now this is people. This is the people saying. You also say, oh, what a weariness. And you sneer at it, says the Lord of hosts. And you bring the stolen, the lame, and sick. Thus you bring an offering. Should I accept this from your hand, says the Lord? Well, that's a rhetorical question. We know the answer. No. He does not want your second best. He wants your best. And get this. They sneered at the Lord. Really? I mean, you know, it's one thing to try and slide it by, but to snicker or sneer at the Lord, make him think that he's gotten over on you, that, you know, really? And oh, what a weariness. Are you wearied from doing what's right? Is that what, is that what their problem was? They think that the grass is greener on the other side? They get tired out of doing the right things over and over and over again? Well, I can tell you from experience through my life, that as a Christian, there's joy in doing what's right. And if you're saved, there's anguish in not doing what's right. Because you think it's going to be fun, and then you do it, and then you're like, man, that is not what I thought it was going to be. In chapter 2, verse 17, it says, You have wearied the Lord with your words, yet you say, In what way have we wearied him? In that you say, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or, where is the God of justice? And and yet, and this is all coming from Malachi. So these people are over and over and over. Just, you know, they're wearied. They're bringing him not the best. And in this one... Where is the God of justice? Really? If you're feeling down, if you're down in the valley or you're doing something wrong and you've felt convicted and you're, you're not doing what you should be doing, do you really want to ask the question, where is the God of justice? Do you really want justice? I don't. I know I don't. When I do that thing and I trip and stumble and fall, and I've got that, man, I wish I could just go back about an hour and do this a different way, and I've got that inside me, I don't go, man, Lord, you know, I didn't do that right that last hour, so just go ahead and punish me like you should, right? Go ahead and bring it on. Just give it to me. No, that's not what we want. We don't want justice. At least we shouldn't want justice. We want mercy, And God is a merciful God. Still in Malachi, in chapter 3, verse 8, it says, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. And again, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing, then there will not be enough room to receive it. This is one of the few verses in Scripture where not only does God tell you what He will do, but He tells you to test Him. If you don't believe him, 
test him. And I'd asked pastor once, I don't know, maybe six years ago, maybe a little bit longer. And I had um, written some scriptures down about tithing and the giving was down in the church a little bit, even though we had a whole bunch of people coming. And I said, pastor, give me five minutes before you preach because like I don't want it to come from you. So I want to go up there as a peer to the people in the sanctuary and just give me five minutes about tithing. I got so many stories, I'm just going to turn their head upside down. And he's like, well, maybe one day. So guess what? <laughs> Today's the day. You get more than five minutes of it. But um, he goes, first of all, you can't talk in five minutes and sit down. And second of all, five minutes is too long because I got to talk longer than that, is what he actually told me. Um, and I do have tithing stories. And the men's group, anyone that's been around for any length of time, will tell you that I have tithing stories over and over and over again. And I'm going to share one, and I'm not going to share any kind of dollar amounts, but I will say this, and I think I might have said this before, but um, I t there was a point where, and I'm faithful on my tithing, and that's important. And then it's important, if you can, you add offerings, and God blesses those offerings. And one of the things that I did about four years ago is I tithed on the next level of income that I thought I wanted to make. And it took about two years, and it was a significant increase. But it took, and I own my own company, so, you know, the rise and fall of my company has to do with me and my partner and God. And we do try to operate our company as much as we can in a biblical sense. We try and pay our our wage earners properly and we don't withhold anything back and we don't do Chinese overtime and we don't do, you know, anything like this. I round hours up. And so, is that, can that not politically correct? Can I not say Chinese overtime? Okay. That's getting half pay for when you break your 40 hours or 50 hours. There's companies out there that do that still. Um, so it took about two years for me to make this. And when I made it, I'm like, sweet, this is awesome, right? So, I took the next step, and I put another challenge. God says, test me. I tested him, and I put the next step up, significant increase. And it took about two years to get to that. And so now, but these are the kind of stories, and I reached it, and God's blessed me for it. And these are the kind of stories that I have. And I've got, you know, taking care of someone on the, the side of the road, and then something comes back to me. And Pastor and I used to joke, it's like, the more you try to give away, the more that you get back in. And this is true. So here I am, the tithing dude. You've, anybody, you know, he's like, oh, we need a tithing story. Let me go to Deacon Jimmy, because he's always got one. <clears throat> James, he would always, I mean, almost every Sunday, he'd come up and go, hey, dude, what, what happened this week? You know, how did how'd you get blessed and because of your tithes this week? I mean, it was regular. So I was like the tithing dude. And Nancy and I went on vacation, and it was extended. And so when I came back, I had to be faithful. I had to write checks for three weeks. And we'd, you know, paid all our bills. We had gone on a vacation. It cost a few thousand dollars. And we owed three weeks' worth of tithes. And I'm sitting there at the desk. And I'm like, man, 
if I pay all three weeks, this is going to leave me with like $57 in the checkbook. I wonder if I should just pay half. I can pay half this time and then half next week. And then, I, and then it's one of those light bulb moments. I'm like, really, dude? You're the guy that he goes to? You're, you've tested him and, he, and it works? And you're, why? Why? Why do we as human beings have this doubt? Why do we have this hold back, even when it happens to us and we see it work? So I went ahead. I'm like, wrote a check in the tithe. Boom, here we go. And I paid the tithe and offering. Now, a secular person will tell you what happens next, that, well, it was just coincidence and it was time for it to happen. But that particular year, we were getting 900 and something dollars back in income tax. And I do a check. I don't do the run down to H&R Block and get my money the next day and all that kind of stuff. And so, and I, most of the time, I, I defer the, you know, I take an extension on it. And I'm just never, like, even with my taxes. But um, I pay them all. I'm not behind. I'm not going to go to jail. But on the Sunday, I dropped the tithing check in, balanced my checkbook at $57, and the next day Nancy calls me up and goes, hey, the check for 900 and blah, blah, blah hit. And there we were. And I'm like, that's just the way God works. I had a doubt. And so when you talk about the faith of a mustard seed, there really is as human beings. We really do have that doubt. So God's telling you, if you will tithe, he will open the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing that there won't be room enough to receive it. And to move on to verse 13, it says, Your words have been harsh against me, says the Lord. Yet you say, what have we spoken against you? You have said, it's useless to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept His ordinance and that we have walked around as mourners before the Lord of hosts? So now we call the proud blessed. For those who do wickedness are raised up. They even tempt God and go free. Now, doesn't it feel like that sometimes? Sometimes you see bad people get good things and get money or whatever. But here's the thing. You can't serve God for yourself. You can't, I can't stand up here because I think it's cool to talk to 25, 30 people. I can't, I can't move people, help moving so that people will go, dude, that Deacon Jimmy, he is so cool, you know? Brother Dave can't go and sit in somebody's house and pray with them for the recognition of, oh, I know I'm going to be seen when I'm walking back, and they know I'm out there doing good, okay? We can't do these things when we serve. We have to serve for God. If you've got bitterness in your heart about the things that you're doing, you're wasting your blessings. You're not laying anything up. And so... I gave a small story. You guys have probably heard it. But I was talking about that very thing, about moving. And I may, have, I, know, I may have just talked to you, but I may have said it. But I have a tendency to be the one that helps move people amongst other people out here. And at one point, we were moving so many people. I was telling Nancy, I'm like, man, I just can't stand this. Good God. She's like, why are you doing it? I'm like, because I'm the guy. I got the truck. 
trailer pulls behind me. Got the registration for the trailer. Miss Dina gave it to me. It's in my folder. I'm the guy. I got to be there. But man, I don't want to get up on a Saturday. Man, I know I'm going to get there. And this stuff's going to be all over. And they told me they're ready to move, but it doesn't matter because I know I've been in 100 houses. I'm going to walk in. There's going to be computer wires. TV's going to be hooked up. Oh, can you go undo the bed? I just know that. So I'm, I don't want to go do this. And she's like, well, you best stop then because you're not doing anything. If you're trying to do this in the name of the church to help people, you're just ruining it. You're throwing it all away. You're not getting anything for yourself. If you are not, if you are in this for you, it's just a waste of time. Don't serve unless it's for God. We're allowed, and this is what I have come to realize, is we are allowed to serve in God's house. And it's cool. It's good. He is a great and almighty God. All right, Zach, got a question for you. If LeBron James called you up and said, hey, dude, I ain't going to pay you anything, but if you come up to Cleveland, you can live in my house and serve me, run and get my water and food and stuff like that, would you be excited to go hang out with LeBron, sir? Absolutely. Always, right? Zach's off the chart excited about LeBron. And LeBron wouldn't even have to pay him. If he, could just be, if he just met him, he'd be like at his feet. What do you need? You need sneakers? I'll go get you sneakers. You need a jacket? Oh, you cold? Oh, here, let me fan you because you got a little bead of sweat coming right there. Dude, you'd be all over him. Why aren't we like that with God? Because LeBron don't compare to God. I mean, it's not even close. So if you have this servitude in your heart... For God, then that's how it should be. Is we look at this as a blessing. We should be looking at this as a blessing instead of an obligation or a curse. So I've gone through these chapters and verses, and it's like, man, hindsight's 2020. Looking back on these people, it's like, why am I doing this? Why am I serving God? Try to slide the wrong thing in. Maybe he won't notice. So let's look at what we can do for God. In Hosea, in chapter 14, verse 9, he starts out by saying, Who is wise? Let him understand these things. Who is prudent? Let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. If you read Proverbs any length of time, you're going to know that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So who is wise? Well, first thing, first people, first place you go is in your word. It's how you become wise. You have to walk righteously. In James, it says your faith must produce works. So if you confess to be a Christian, then there should be outward signs of righteousness. I should be helping move people because I got a truck and a trailer that'll work. Um, We should be up here cleaning the sanctuary. 
We should be showing up on yard day. We should be doing these things because they're righteous things for the Lord. Because do we want to be in our panel houses or do we want to build the temple? In Proverbs 16, it says, Commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. That one's not up there. I just threw that one in. That's 16.2. It was only half a verse. But commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. So here's the thing. If you're not quite in the right mind, still do the right thing. And your mind's going to come around. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and a launderer's soap. So I just said that in James, your faith produced works. And we should. We should have some of these outside works. In Proverbs, it says, Commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. So that means sometimes your thoughts aren't right there, but you should still be doing the right things. But here's what also that means, is we can be doing the right things. Just like my opening chapter in Zechariah, where they're fasting, they're churchgoers, they're praying, they're doing all the right things. We're in church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday, volunteering for the nursery, one or two of us. Um, You know, the thing is, we're doing the right things. But we have to examine ourselves. Are we just doing the right things because we know that's the right thing to do? Or are we examining ourselves and we're doing the things that we need to because of God? And so what we need, this is what I've come to see, is what we need in this is in the last line where it says, for he is like a refiner's fire and a launderer's soap. And that led me to Psalm 51. That line right there led me to Psalm 51, verse 6, where David describes... Make sure... Okay. Psalm 51, verse 6. So David is describing his desires for a clean heart. And it says, Behold, you, God, desire truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part. You will make me know wisdom, purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. And verse 9 says, Hide your face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. <clears throat> so here's the thing. Yes, we need to be doing the right things. Yes, we want to be doing the right things. People should see actions in our faith. But here's the real deal. You got to have God wash you on the inside. If you are not washed on the inside, then it's all a waste. And I'm asking tonight, please, 
don't waste your life going through the motions. If you don't, if you're not in love with God and you're not saved and you don't have that personal relationship with God, then why are you doing all of these things that make you look righteous on the outside? Because check out Nahum chapter 1 verse 7. It says, The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. But here's the cool thing. And He knows those who trust in Him. So you might be doing that right thing. And you might be moving and cleaning and vacuuming and playing in the praise and worship band. But guess what? God knows those who trust in Him. So again, I ask, if you don't have that personal relationship with God, why are you here? Why are you doing these things? Because you're not getting any benefit from them. And I'm not sure, but the verse I'm closing with is maybe, just maybe, because I'm on a diet, but Malachi 4, 2. I've lost 20 pounds. But to, you, but to you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. Right? I think that's just part of the diet speaking. But a stall-fed calves. You guys been to the Clay County Fair? You guys go to the 4-H section of the Clay County Fair? All right, well, you should. It's a little stinky over there. Dude, they treat those animals just. I mean, they don't have to go out in the sun. They don't have, they're just a stall-fed calf. They make sure that they get big and fat and they brush them. And the, little, the boys and girls are running around and bringing them water buckets. And, oh, you've slobbered into that one. Let me get you some clean water. I mean, so I kind of look at this, you know. We're going to be taken care of like a stall-fed calf. So in my closing, and I've said it already tonight, make sure, just make sure that you're not just going through the motions. Don't try to spend your time living righteously if you don't have a personal relationship with God. If you do have a personal relationship with God, continually ask to be cleansed. Continually ask God to wash you. Continually ask God to renew a right spirit within you. And to go back to the title of the sermon is who are you doing this for? Let's make sure that we're doing this for God. Because if we're doing this for God, then more blessings than we ever thought of will come our way. We try to do it for us, and God's still going to get His. Amen. Dear Lord, we thank You for this night, Lord. We thank You for Your Word that was spoken, Lord. Um, Lord, we just I, I, we know that You fill this place, Lord, and we know that You watch over us, and You comfort us, and You take care of us, Lord. But You are a demanding God, and You ask that we obey You, Lord. And you ask that we not only act righteously out where others can see you because you want us to be a light in the world, Lord, but, Lord, you want us to be clean inside. And you want us to come to you. And you want us to be washed by you, Lord. There's no washing greater than the blood of Jesus Christ, Lord. So, Lord, we just ask that you pour the Spirit down in on top of us.
And for those of us that are saved, Lord, we ask that you continually wash us and wash our hearts, Lord. And if there's anyone in the room that's not saved, Lord, we just ask that they might come to you. And, the, and we know that all we have to do is ask. It doesn't have to be in front of the stage or publicly, Lord. All we have to do is search with you with our whole heart. And Lord, we just ask that you continue your presence with us and that you watch over us as we make our way homes tonight to our families and to our houses. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We truly appreciate the opportunity to pour into your lives each week. For more information or to donate to Abundant Life's ministry, please check out our website at www.alcfnow.org.